And I have felt and seen the suffering yes. that is happening when other people yeah. are, are in other people's space in business, yeah. and especially when they're doing it in the name of, of religion or their yeah. Christianity. Hey, friends, we're so glad you could join us. This is a Christmas special. And really the reason we're thinking about Christmas isn't for us to dwell on Christmas per se, but to dwell on something that maybe is going on in your mind right now. And if you're like a lot of people, you're a little bit sad that you won't be able to be there with friends and family and and all those extended relatives that you might normally get together with during the holiday season. But maybe, maybe you're a little bit relieved at least relieved that you don't have to go through all those anxieties that sometimes come when we deal with family obligations, but most importantly, the question of family members trying to fix us. We're going to talk about what true family is on today's show, and then Stacy and I are going to, we're going to talk about what we want to be doing in uh, the month and a half to come with an expanded conversation with our, our virtual family family members we choose because we're on uh, some kind of quest together. We have some shared values and mission. Students who have different perspectives, different beliefs. They've come and gone from different religious traditions. They've crossed our paths. We're going to be talking with friends old and new in the coming weeks, and we wanted to get this one kicked off right now with Reverend Casey Tinnan, who's one of the best students I ever had, and uh, we're going to talk about his life story and his career and some of uh, the ways in which it, it illustrates for us this question of true family. We're so glad, again, that you're with us. Let's go. So, Stacy, we're kind of looking at a way of of kind of orienting ourselves in the next, you know, little break between semesters. Right. And we're thinking about how we wanted to see people, but we can't. Mm-hmm. And so we were reflecting on, you know, this imaginary kind of Christmas party. You know, if we had, if we could just zap everybody through some kind of teleportation system into one big Christmas banquet room. Right. And uh, how much fun that would be. And yet, how hard it is. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean hard. Um, the friends and the family that we've got, if we bring everybody in our rather eclectic circles yeah. together, they often don't get along. Often one of the hardest parts about our friends and family is that when we bring everybody into one space, it sometimes doesn't go well. I remember when we first came back down from Seattle, we moved back down to Mm -hmm. Orange County area. All my old high school friends, they had grown in different directions. Yeah, so So when (laughs) we, we, we envisioned this like big old party of getting all these people from... You know, various parts and like even just they, a lot of them knew each other even. They just hadn't hung out in a while. But it wasn't like one group of friends that always was this one group of friends. They all had some connection to us. Right. But they aren't all like one So we thought of bringing everybody together in this one happy little celebration as we met at a restaurant. We wanted to go to the White House, which is a, uh, which is, it was an old place to go dancing and. They had reggae nights on Sunday nights. It's in and Laguna Beach. In Laguna Beach. It's since closed, but 
we were so excited to do this and there was so much tension, yes. you know, I was glad to do it, but it was, it was, it was kind of scary because people had different political views, I mean, even religious views, even like just what people were ordering. Like there was so much, you know, I don't know, like I can't possibly have this type of thing or whatever. And it was just like, Oh wow. Like this was really complicated. Yeah. yeah. And there was a sense of, you know, I think it, what's unfortunate is that, I mean, I I would love it if it was a situation where everybody could even rejoice in their differences. Yeah, but, that's but so instead, hard. I think it was more like, hmm, and not even really judgment, but just like feeling uncomfortable, especially because of their differences. Yeah, and I think it was because maybe they were worried about judgment, whether or not it was happening. Yeah. People judging not, each other if they're going to church anymore, or, or not if, comfortable if, in their own skin yeah. entirely. You know, self conscious or whatever. Yeah, or kind of like high school reunions. Do you feel good about your body? <laughs> right. Do you feel good about your career? Or where what you've done with your life in all yeah. these years? You know, and are you proud of you know? A lot of the time, our insecurities come with us to Christmas parties. You mm-hmm. know, they come with us to these kinds of gatherings now. If we were kind of thinking about this, we would say, all right, well, who would we invite to this virtual party? And two, two folks came to mind, and partly because of an exchange on Facebook that we were just kind of watching from the, from the sidelines. And it started out with one student I'd like to introduce to you, Timothy. Uh, Tim is also one of the top 10 students I've ever had, a, a sincere, wonderful gentleman, a spiritual guy, mm-hmm. a guy who is a person of integrity, mm-hmm. um, wants to be good mm-hmm. and is good and is loving to people. Okay. Growing now, up in a Christian home. Grew, yep. Yep. Very, uh, very much part of that, um, that, uh, that Lutheran Bible tradition. Mm-hmm. He one day said, all right, I need to express my desire for greater love. It actually came about because he was saying that he felt that people that he knew of or just in watching sort of, I guess, the culture of of Christianity, he felt that they were basically morphing the Bible into what they wanted it to say and not what he thought it did in truth say. And so then basically trying to say that um, the liberals were trying to change the Bible. Liberal Christians. Yes. And that's how he started. The whole flow of it was, was that it was about, um, that he was saying was, we need more graciousness, right? We need, we need more uh, love and graciousness, but we can't, like, God's grace is so big that it can help anybody, but without having to change the Bible. So the, the grace of God is, is powerful. Mm-hmm. And that we need to emphasize that rather than uh, legalism, cruelty, Mm -hmm. um, shouting at people, condemning people. At the same time, he was worried that too too many times churches in the more progressive tradition would forsake the Bible's teaching, specifically on LGBT issues. Well, that's what somebody in the thread finally came out and said. I feel like the elephant in the room of this conversation is... The LGBTQ issue. Right. And in, in the church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that, that kind of carried out into a longer conversation. Enter another one of my favorite students over the years, Jack. Jack is somebody that goes back all the way to my time at Colorado Christian University. Mm-hmm. And then I convinced him to come finish his degree out at Trinity 
Lutheran College mm-hmm. because I really knew that he had a lot to say and a lot to study, and he was so close to finishing, and I wanted him to finish. And, and uh, so he was my friend from Colorado Christian that I introduced to my new friend, new student, Tim, yeah. and these two students then got to know each other and become friends. So it is interesting with Jack because since you mentioned how he was from you know the, the first experience of Colorado Christian and also Trinity, there's so many times where there's some very, um, I guess, some very close group of students that you mentored. That during, are like family to me. I think in, of them as family. During, if I travel to towns that they live in, that's my family. Those two different eras, especially. Yeah. And it's they so converged. interesting that there's, there's a couple of students that do converge, that mm-hmm. they were part of both scenes. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of interesting because Jack's one of those few. And so it, it makes... It helps actually in some weird way, like in social media posts and stuff like that, to bridge those two worlds together for me because they do feel pretty distinct, even though we have, you know, students that, I don't know, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences in all of their experiences. So now you get these two guys Mm -hmm. that are, that are friendly. They, they studied with me in what was called the Dean Circle. So we had these intensive conversations with people some were people of faith, some people were atheists, some people were angry at the church, some people were going to be servants of the church. Mm-hmm. And we were all gathering together, and we'd read books like the Brothers, uh, Brothers Karamazov, and then discuss life. And it was so blessed. <laughs> it was so beautiful. It was a rich, con- you had rich conversations. And it's something that I just, like, that's family. That's my family. And it's so hard, though. Because when that family conversation is seen, let's say, like in Facebook, then you expand it out and mm-hmm. people are going, okay, well, this is a little weird. People on both like kind of networks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean like the social network. I would say, you know, um, Tim's network and then Jack's, you know, network say, mm-hmm. watching this. And Jack comes in, who, uh, he, he's somebody who came from a conservative Christian background, got kind of interested in non-dualistic uh, Eastern religion, mm-hmm. uh, Zen Buddhism, uh, and and other other things like mysticism, and um, still really wants to think about ways um, to heal and to recover biblical language. He, he every once in a while will send us something like, "Or what did the serpent mean when he said, um, who told you you were naked?'" Mm-hmm. And he'll just kind of leave that, you right. know. Um, and so, uh, a, a different kind of spiritual man these two gentlemen, mm-hmm. different kind of spiritual man, but deeply spiritual as well. Now, the, 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 there are all sorts of things that would come and go in, the, in their conversation online. I think Jack's first message was that Christianity, spirituality, it's far more, like it's, it's far deeper. Jack was saying, I've, I've lived this. I've, I've lived a life of feeling like, I'm one with God. Yeah. This is my experience. And I th- often it sounds like you read about it. Right. So he so yeah, he was saying, okay, you've got this really good theological way of dealing with issues like right. your conservative upbringing and then engagement with the LGBT world. But it's still a theology. It's still theoretical. Yeah, and that there is a way to live all of this. And then what I mean and that was quite offensive to Tim because Tim wants to be a good person. He wants, you know, he wants to follow God's leading and direction and, you know, guidance in his life. And and yeah. so he really thinks that he, I mean, he is seeking what he, what he would say is the way, right? He right. totally believes 
and Jack saying, I've, I've seen the light. I have, I have experienced this beatific vision come over into the light and it, it doesn't really look the way it looks from your angle. There's, right. there's something that you haven't yet seen and tasted and that's what's keeping you kind of tangled up in these culture war issues. That's kind of where I was seeing that. Mm-hmm. Then in comes Dave Ellingson, who's my former colleague at Trinity, who was um, ELCA pastor, mm-hmm. right? And so he comes in and says, wait a minute, I don't think that, you know, being gay and lesbian, transgender is, is a problem for Christians. It's not a sin. It's not a sin. So it's not, he says, so Tim, no, um, it's not that we should be more loving and gracious, to fix people with grace and love that are LGBT, but rather it's accepting them. And then Jack comes back in and says uh, something that kind of goes back to the, um, the more like the mystical tradition. And then some of Tim's family members start to comment on Jack's statements that sound a little bit Eastern. And you can see how much discomfort can come about, right? These are just... All these different people yeah, that Tim lots knew, of different all these voices. people that I knew, all these people that Jack knew. And so as we kind of bring this family together. So it's like Tim's former professors, yes. fellow students, family members, you know. And so sometimes we do want to help people see things the way we see it because we've experienced something that's new and beautiful and loving and freeing. Yeah. And sometimes actually when you have these aha moments, I mean, I think... I mean, the temptation sometimes, if you I say temptation, but like the idea is that you want to, sh- you know, if it was really powerful to you, you want to share it with everybody. Yes, we know this all too well. We are the worst sometimes. And friends, sorry, if we do this to you, right? You've well, got- I mean, our podcast in some ways is some of it, right? But you could choose to listen to us or not. <laughs> That's right? our only there's thing, a, right? There's a platform that we're you providing know, this information. You know what you're going to get. If and, you want lessons on outfoxing religious wolves, come join us. But but we don't, we don't make a habit of going around all of our lives saying, oh, well, there's a religious wolf right there, right? Yeah. Like you, you better watch out you and know, to our, we, our family members yeah, and things like that. Right. And if we, and if we do come across like we are know-it-alls or that, you know, that like, especially like sometimes I'll just have like this, like, you know, I don't want to listening to Benet Brown, right? Some mm. of these things. And I'm like, Oh, you know, got to be more vulnerable. You know, we yeah. just got to just be real and vulnerable. And if I sit there and tell my sister, Oh, you know, Lise, you got to be, you just got to be vulnerable. Read this book. You got to do this. And then she's just like, thanks, you know. Come but- to yoga with us. <laughs> go roller skating with right. us. You really got to do roller skating. And I would only want to share it with her because I did find something yes. powerful about it's it. It's hard and some, not to evangelize when meaning, you found something beautiful. Meaningful, but far better than using our words is to use our actions. Yeah. Right? It is just how you are going to be. And then other people will want to say, you know, if they, if they find that, um, you know, beautiful and if they are interested, then be like, huh, like how is it that, that you can just be so, you know, vulnerable yeah. <laughs> with me or whatever it is, you know, how, you know, why, or at times when sometimes there's craziness or whatever, and I can check myself and, you know, check into my body and de-stress. And, and if, you know, if my sister sees that, that's my real time. Like if she ever asks, Hey, how do you do that? <laughs> then I could teach her at that moment if, if she wants to know, you know, mm-hmm. but me trying to force something like we've, we, we've tried to force yoga on Aiden. Aiden yeah. It's like, Oh, you're stressed. Like, well, I'll just do need, this. You have anxiety. We just, yep. I just know this will help you, you know, yep. but that's the last thing that Aiden ever wants to do. And I, it really hit home um, with our last episode on when we talked about uh, non domination yeah. over people. And I think so the idea of sort of not, you know, not doing any harm to others. 
And they're not trying to control them. Right. And I think that often, even though we might be well-meaning when we try to fix people, we are causing sometimes little and sometimes big harm. Sometimes really big harm. Sometimes. You go to Christmas and somebody's going to, you know, as soon as you walk in the door, they're going to have a question for you about your job choice, the person you're dating. Right. Just, there's, who knows, a number of things, how you voted, you know? Right. And, and the niece is trying to, to get grandpa to get a little bit more woke. Now, what about this? This is something our kids, um, you know, kind of talk about in a way that we didn't really think about it in the same way when we were younger. But there's a lot of times the younger generation is very concerned to, to help shift the culture within family gatherings uh, if it sounds too insensitive, bigoted, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. And there's this desire not to hear, let's say, racist, offensive stuff at, at the, the Christmas table. Yeah. What, what would you say about that? Like, how does that play in? I say anytime there's something like that. I mean, it could even, you know, be a sexist comment, you know, any of that stuff. When you just call somebody out, and especially if you ever use a word like you're a racist or, you know, (laughs) whatever it is. um, People get defensive. They get super defensive. And it really really isn't going to be um, as, I think, helpful as if you were to say instead... When you made that comment, that made me feel really uncomfortable. And we're trying really hard as a family to be more conscious of some of this. Um, And we would appreciate it if in our presence that you refrained from from using sort of language. That way of talking kills the Christmas spirit. And, and this is key, when it comes to Christmas via Zoom or Christmas in person in the future years, wherever you might find yourself, you have the right... And really, you are exhorted to keep your boundaries. If you're in a situation where you are, are uh, kind of constantly having to face these negative, um, let's say, let's just look at racist, racist stuff from the parents, and you don't want your kids to be in that world, mm-hmm. you have the right to not, to not put up with it. Now, what you don't want to do is constantly walk in there with, with your know-it-all attitude and try to fix it. Now, one thing I should say about Jack and Tim, one of the things is that Jack saying, hey, I have experienced oneness with God. Mm-hmm. And then this makes Tim say, Tim says to Jack, well, you're, he's just very, or he says to his family member, this guy's kind of arrogant. He's always right. But of course, if you're Jack, he, he, he saw it directly, he thinks. And so therefore, he can't but say that I know for sure what I, what I know. Right. And so it's, it's, we're not saying that it's bad for you to share honestly what you feel, what your perceptions are, and so forth. The, the part that's unhealthy is when we go in with this aggressive attempt to be in people's business instead of just letting them breathe. You know, mm. grab a Christmas cookie, tell me how you've been, get to understand people. Now, in Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50, uh, there's this account. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
Now, the hard part of this that I think we need to take seriously is that if you are in a genetic family or the family you grew up with and it is toxic and it is harmful, you have Jesus' permission here, if that matters to you, but the, the, the insight is to not just put yourself in circumstances simply because of these blood relations. You are free to remove yourself from that situation, and you are free to join up with like-minded people that aren't blood relatives that are part of some kind of shared mission some kind of shared set of values, even if there are other things that, that you disagree about, right, that you're, that you're coming together. And I think that's also part of this because some of you, uh, some of you are, are in, in life situations where maybe your family members, your, your, the people that you normally would have met up with this Christmas, weren't going to be so good for you that maybe this is your opportunity to rethink who is your true family. You know, it's and it's interesting as you think about uh, what, you know, where do you find, you know, true community, true family. Yeah, what's the what's true that? friendship? Yeah, what do you and want it, that to look like? And it really is, uh, you know, it's when it s- stems from unconditional love, and you just know it that it isn't about like the people that are there for you. They're there to listen. They're there to come alongside of, right? Uh, but they aren't the ones that are constantly telling you to be something other than you're, you know, not. Now, if you you go all day long and ask for advice from people that you trust, right? Uh, and, and, I love and get, wisdom. And get wisdom from folks. But I'm talking about unsolicited yeah. <laughs> advice, you know, about your life. Because that never, it really doesn't ever feel good. Uh, you don't want to walk into a situation, you know, and not, you know, and wonder, okay, you know, what is it, you know, that I'm going to have to worry about right now or what are they going to ask me? So that that unconditional love is such a, an important piece. And I think there's a weird way in which we make it seem so elusive that we make it seem, unconditional love seem so, yeah, difficult. so hard. Yeah, it's so right. hard. How could you possibly do that? And I am not saying that it is, um, you know, that it, it's a totally easy, but for is an emotion, there is a simple there is a simple way. And it pretty much is not trying to fix somebody, to allow somebody to exist and just let them be as long as they aren't hurting somebody else. Yeah. The caveat is if somebody is coming and is dangerous emotionally or physically or sexually right. in a community, that needs to they may need to be quarantined. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, yeah, they need, that needs to be addressed. Yeah, they that's a help, boundary, you know? right. But that, but that, that idea that... There is space for you. Yes, space. There's space for me. There's to space. To figure your stuff out. Whatever that is in, in an, a loving, caring, nurturing environment. And that's where we thrive. Non-transactional, where people recognize those things that Aiden said are the mark of uh, a true Christian community, which are? So unconditional love, period. Number one. So it's not about what, you're, what you do. You know, it's not about how proud you've made somebody else feel or they make you feel right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's unconditional love. You accept them for Mm -hmm. who they are. You allow them Mm -hmm. to exist and you give them that space. And then the next one is, is that you have intrinsic value. Not for a transaction, not for what you bring to the table. Just Just you. Simply being. The fact that you've made it into an existence, into existence here, right? And that we're, we're sitting together there. 
there is value in that. I mean, think of how amazing that is. There's a living person. Yeah. They've made it this far. Yeah. And you say, oh, of course, oh, we can do that. But then you start to really drill down into it and people have a very hard time relinquishing that transactional nature. We, we know it's hard to feel unconditionally loving towards people. But what Stacy, I think you're saying is that it's not that hard to simply let go of the transaction game. Right. What, I'm, what I'm asking you to consider for this question of true family and Christmas and, and what this means in a broader sense is that you do not have to constantly remind people about your disagreements as an act of faith. Mm. You don't have to do that. Secondly, you do not have to agree with your children to love them unconditionally and not remind them of your disagreement every time you gather. You do not have to police their entire being. And if you can get that part, I think it'll do you a world of good. You can be free, if you're a Catholic mom, to believe that you should only have sex for procreation. And you can believe that condoms are not God's natural way of life and thriving. You can believe that. Mm -hmm. You have space to be that person. It would be best if you don't make a big deal about that every Thanksgiving because it's in other people's business. And the reason this matters is not a matter of being polite. It's not a matter of being polite, friends. It's a matter of boundaries. And this is why it's so important to this show and what we are doing here. This show is primarily about evading or outfoxing religious wolves. But part of that is this way in which religious people claim the right and some, sometimes often overuse what they think is this right to be in people's business, being in their pants, talking about their sexuality, being like really intrusive about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I need you to understand, dear listener, is that this is not okay. And that I hope that you will join us in encouraging even the most traditionalist, conservative, Catholic, Protestant, whatever your religious tradition is, people, to back off this cult-like behavior of being in people's lives too aggressively and intensively. If I'm not inviting you to talk about my own sexual life, my own personal life, my own intimate space... You need to respect that boundary. Mm-hmm. If you're a pastor, you need to respect that boundary. Now, if, you, if you've got your own you know, deal with, with who gets to be a member in your church, that, you work that out. But on a day-to-day life, in my, in my normal life at a, at a Christian university, in, in a group of friends, your getting in other people's business is not okay because it is a, it is a red flag that is associated with abusive relationships in Christian re- religious communities, and this is what I mean. There is this weird, grabby, touchy, invasive thing that, that a lot of youth groups kind of experienced in the 80s and 90s, right? Where we were always talking about handling your hormones, so we were always talking about sex and all yeah. this. And I think, and that was, in, in that situation, I think, because the emphasis so often was, you know, don't think about, don't think about your sexuality or don't think if you if you all of a sudden like you know you see somebody and you get a little flutter like ooh that's lust and now that's a sin and so you didn't really know what to do with these natural feelings biological urges yeah that would just come and so instead it like kind of but it seeps out in 
uh, like unhealthy, unhealthy ways yeah. and inappropriate. But and I also think that there because there is also a stunting of yes, just a natural healthy sexuality and understanding of it in a mature right. way ourselves others right and so it, it ends up being more like a the you know the school playground in some yeah. weird like you know but even for big people yeah that's what i'm saying yeah i'm like saying adult, element yeah. element like adults acting like elementary kids would on a on a playground sometimes that and, was at least our experience i think yeah. in evangelicalism but now and, this yeah and i i you know you, you talk about uh you know, like, you know, with getting in people's business and things. And one of the things that I absolutely, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't deny is that when, you know, we, we have throughout the years, you know, we've been there in all sorts of different students' lives from all different perspectives and viewpoints and everything, right? And I have felt and seen the suffering yes. that is happening when other people yeah. are are in other people's space in business yeah. and especially when they're doing it in the name of of religion or their yeah. Christianity because it gives them such a uh, like a sense of intrusive presence like they're allowed to be there and there's there's so much suffering there that it unfortunately it it actually affects people's will to want to continue to live. This is really where we're going to turn here now is to really the question of how, especially this comes out in uh, the, the kind of church questions related to LGBT um, existence within those communities, right? Yeah. What's the place? And, um, and, and I, I, I realized recently why it was so connected. When I gave my Trembeth lecture, my main thesis is that the healthy intellectual life of a, of a person of faith is going to foster this idea that young people that grow up in the faith should think what they think they should think and feel what they feel. Now, that doesn't mean that your interpretation of your feelings is right or that your thinking is right, but that you should be taught and you should exercise this idea that I am going to think what I think I should think, not what somebody else needs me to think, I want to get their advice, but I'm going to think what I think I should think, and I'm going to feel what I feel. I'm going to trust my perceptions. I'm going to challenge my interpretations and my perceptions, but I'm going to trust my perceptions. And there is this systematic way in which churches often teach us not to think what we think we should think Mm -hmm. and to ignore our feelings. And that is a recipe for just mental anguish, mental unhealth, mm-hmm. doom, and behavioral problems. And is no we good. do this all the time in our families, especially yeah. because we think we have more license in their lives as yeah. well. You know, so we want to control how they're thinking, and we want to control how they're feeling, or deny their feelings sometimes. Right? Now, meanwhile, let's think of it this way: Let's assume that you find yourself experiencing. Let's say you're a teenager, and you experience uh, feelings that are not heterosexual. That that kind of traditional uh, norm that you would assume you're supposed to have. You have this feeling. And you you feel like you're an outsider. You feel like you're an outcast. You feel somehow not good about yourself. And then you hear of this group of people, these religious people, these Christian people, that talk about unconditional love. And you hear language like, come just as you are. We will accept you no matter who you are. This is what 
I heard when yep. I was in high school. Me too. Um, that that was what the church is. The church is for people who want to come and be loved unconditionally. Correct. But there's a bait and switch. And it's a bait and switch that I guarantee you, friends, is really, really claustrophobic. When I or you, dear listener, you go to a new community, you're kind of you know, self-conscious, right? But if you're an LGBT student that went to one of these conservative Christian churches and maybe wanted to see if there was any way of changing who you were or coming to terms with it or just, you just want a safe place to figure it out. And you hear that it's a safe place, and instead what happens is people descend upon you and get really, really close to your intimate intellectual mental space, emotional space. And you can't shake them. And they're always on your case, right? And and, uh, many times students have told us that especially in church contexts and in Christian universities where we've largely been in the context of church-related colleges and universities, that there will, be, there will be events that promise an open and frank discussion about mm-hmm. spirituality, the Bible, and sexual uh, identity, sexual ethics, gender, and uh, what it really ends up quickly being is, we've got you here, now we're going to fix you. Well, we're going to share with you somebody who has been fixed. fixed. Okay. And of course, those people have stories, and we want to honor those stories and those perceptions and those thoughts, right? It's like, that's all there. But the, the part that's the, difficult the is the bait and switch. And the amount of, of, of turmoil and, and anxiety and pain is enough for us to say, I think, at this point in our lives after all this, that that's, that's just, we need to all get together. I'm talking the more conservative, the better on this one. If you can affect your communities in the most traditionalist, contexts in such a way that you give people a place not to be in that terrifying, claustrophobic, invasive space, you're going to do uh, wonders. You're going to bring about, I think, a lot of, of open space for healing. Because, and this is the key, as we transition here to our, to our student Casey, our dear friend Casey, Casey was a, was a, we'll let him tell a story, but he was a, a student in my classes, studied Bible, went on to seminary, went on to what, what we in the more conservative world would have seen as a very liberal seminary. Mm-hmm. And Casey is gay. And Casey was um, the recipient of a lot of negative words and actions from people at a very liberal school, or at least seemingly liberal school, or progressive uh, seminary. And so if that's the case... This really kind of led us to wonder how much suffering goes unspoken and in some of these and, conservative and Christian with, with, communities. With those fresh lenses that Casey was able to yeah. remind us of, we have seen a lot of suffering once yeah. we started paying attention. Yeah. And if you think that that is what your religious community is about, then I'd like you to consider rethinking the nature of your mission. Is it to come bring that kind of internal traumatization and turmoil? I don't think so. Now, here's where it's going to be difficult. And, I, and a lot of you friends, I bet you won't be able to, 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 to get all the way through this and not uh, get frustrated. But I want you to think about this one thought experiment. Here's the question. We're going to hear about a case in which Casey had a professor who, will take him at his word, who loves Casey and daily prayed for Casey to be healed from his gayness, okay? And he told him this in class. 
He told him this as he would pass in the hall. And Casey says to this individual at the college where he, this was his professor, I have this boundary I'd like not to be crossed. I cannot exist here if every time I see you, you tell me that you love me and that you're praying for me. It sounds like it's well-meaning, right? Yeah. What a, and what did he say? He said, I love you and I'm praying for you. So again, Casey says, the one thing I just can't, I can't deal with this. Every time I just come to class, I am told that you love me and you're praying for me. I, I would like that to stop. And, his, and, and, and he says, but I do love you and I'm praying for you. And I, on the one hand, I can understand why he would say that because he would say, but but wait a minute, how could you tell me not to tell you that I love you and I'm praying for you? Because I do love you and I'm praying for you. And this is what I want you to consider as we turn it over to our interview with Casey. As you're listening to the story, you don't have to agree with Casey. But if you can join us in this really important move for all of us to create this culture, mutually respectful culture, in which... Even if you love and pray for somebody, you will refrain from saying it if it does not have the effect. <laughs> if it's causing them harm, if yeah. they're telling you that that is harmful to them, we need to listen to that. Because we are adults that respect each other's space. And if I have a, a, a child that goes to a college or a church program, I don't want the pastor or the professor constantly invasively intruding into questions and into conversations that the student was not interested in talking about, or at least not in that way. And if you can't get that, then go back and think it over again, because I know that it's hard. I know that for many of you, you would say, well, of course you should. That's like, that's not mean. That's not cruel. But there is a way in which the language that we say, it has this, this Sometimes that objective implies, <laughs> it also implies judgment in the yeah. same way that I somehow am, yeah. I'm praying for you because you need some sort of help right. that, right. that, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's like, but that's all that the hard part is, is that's the sum of then what you reduce that person mm-hmm. down to is this one little piece of their life as so, well. Right. So yeah. it's, if you really do love and, and are going to pray for somebody, Find out what's going on in their life that they want to be prayed, that they want you to pray for them for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but don't use it as a space to sort of cast judgment or throw out your own opinion or show that somebody's definitely doing something wrong. Yeah. Now, as we turn it over to, to the interview with Casey here, uh, one thing I think is interesting is that, that when Casey speaks with young people, he labels them family and it has this instantaneous effect on many people who have felt like they have no family. Yeah. He says, hello family. That's what the early church did. They called each other brother and sister when they were slaves and barbarians and, and women and, and poor people. I mean, everybody became family at the feast, the Eucharistic feast. And if you could set aside your culture war issues, your you know, church politics issues, set that aside for a second and think about how beautiful that would feel for you. If you, no matter where you are in life, if you're feeling lonely, if somebody just comes up to you and starts talking about you as if you're family, in the best of senses, not family so I can get in your business, but family because you're unconditionally loved, you have intrinsic value. There are communities of people 
that band together, unified as family through unconditional love. And we're all looking for that. And this Christmas, I hope that you can have that. And that if nothing else, in our hearts, we want to send that Care Bear heart out to you, wherever you are. Because you have the right to exist. You have the right, whoever you are, to have space to know that you are loved and that you are in charge of figuring out you. And that you are in charge of starting to respect and honor your feelings, no matter how much you live up to others' expectations. You are the present. The presence. You are the gift. Wherever you are in your little space, we wish you the greatest joy and peace this Christmas. If you do find yourself incredibly lonely at this time, reach out to us. Give us an email at thepymp at gmail.com. We were kind of, when we started this podcast, we were hoping that maybe a lot of people would just kind of, you know, send voicemails in. And so often these conversations are just, they're not the sort of thing that that is the public conversation. And we really do value. We don't want anybody suffering alone. Yeah. That's... We ain't your counselors. We're not your pastors. That's a living hell. Yeah. So... But we're your family if you need family. Absolutely. Much love to you, friends. Much love. And uh, and, uh, may we now introduce... Again, one of my favorite students I've ever had, Reverend Casey Tennant. My understanding of what Christianity was meant to be was a place for people who lived at the periphery to find their way to the table. Friends, for this next section, there is a content warning in order. There is a brief mention of suicidal ideation. It's not something we talk about for too long, but if that is something that you are struggling with, keep handy the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Casey, welcome. Thank you for visiting your old professor. <laughs> hey, what a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Thank you for having oh, me. Absolutely. And you know, it's not too cold yet. You were able to uh, enjoy uh, a little bit of the desert. That's right. Was in Palm Springs. Took some time. That is so good. Now, here's the deal. I just want to start right off, right off the bat. How on earth does somebody decide that they want to get into church work ministry, Bible. How'd you get into that track? Uh, it was the only thing I ever wanted to do, right? So, um, Never anything else, not like n- fireman? No, no. <laughs> or person? Right. So my, so my, uh, Firefighter. my parents uh, recall me preaching around a campfire when I was four years old. Oh, wow. I, That's um, so great. Yeah, it, it was the one thing I loved, you know, and it wasn't necessarily from them. They were not super religious. Uh, I tell people that I grew up Lutheran and evangelical. Uh, Lutheran was because my grandma was um, a part of the LCMS, or at that point it was LCMS. We moved into the AALC uh, later Because on. the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was not conservative enough? Right, right. I, <laughs> I think joke, that's true. I, think that's what I joke that the AALC are the tea partiers of, uh, of right? Lutheranism. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but, uh, but going to church with my grandma meant pancakes, right? It meant um, more time with her and my grandpa. And so I, st- I would go to church with them. And uh, that's where I found my passion for the pageantry, for the, for the you know, 
the the rituals, the liturgy, all the things that gay boys love, honey. You just get to walk down the aisle and people stand for you. And yeah, it was great. Um, and I found safe adults there, right? Church, church that, you know, what your son uh, Aiden was talking about, that sense of safety and security um, was what I longed for because home wasn't always safe, but church was. And so if I couldn't be with grandma, I could be at church. And so um, for so I started confirmation, and it was like I was at church every night of the week, basically. Okay, I want to pause you. This is good. Yeah. Because that's sometimes the bait and switch for some students. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it is precisely the place that you finally find welcome. Um, and you say, oh, I'm loved here. Right. This is great. This is safe. Somebody cares about me. Well, that's what, that's what um, led me to evangelicalism, actually. Mm. Um, because I loved, I mean, evangelicals do a really good job of like, hey, come hang out, you know? Mm-hmm. We're going to hang out at the youth director's ha- house, you know? Or, uh, you know, let's gather for a bonfire. Um, all of that connection. Um, but I often tell people that at that very same time, you know, um, eighth grade, high school, coming into high school is when you begin to find language for your own sexuality, right? You are beginning to notice things about yourself. Um, and that's where, and that's where the real switch happens because it's, um, come as you are, come as you are, but you're bad and broken. Mm. You're bad and broken. There's nothing good in you. Right. Um, and and theologically, this is, this is prior to any other conversation about, any kind of sexual identity. Correct. This is just you come right. in as a young person, and right. especially especially Lutheran circles, but you're saying you saw it in... Evangelical. evangelical. Right. You are disgusting. That's right. You've got the Jesus blankie over you. That's right. So hide under the Jesus blankie, but you are disgusting underneath that blankie. And let me remind you of the Luther quote you know, that was quoted to me as a young person, which is, there is nothing good in you but Christ, and that makes you good alone. That's terrible. There's a context for it, but it doesn't matter, right? I mean, that, that, that's something that Stacey and I have seen a lot of, that the thing that was internalized was self-loathing. That's right. And that the more you do it, the more you earn points in heaven. It's that's kind right. of like flagellation, it is. you know, or, or, or fasting or You're something. You're not accepted it, you know, for who you are. Because you have no self. Mm-hmm. And therefore, any other conversation, it's going to flow right into that. That's right. We're already hating ourselves. That's right. All right, but keep going. So... You decide to go to Bible college. Right. So, yeah. So, I, um, I decide, uh, you know, by the time I have language for being a gay person, all I know is that it's an abomination, right? That I'm bad and I'm broken. And, um, but there was this moment of like, um, if I'm ever going to come out. Also, my grandpa was the mayor of the city I grew up in, mm. right? He was the chief of police. There was no space for Casey to like breathe, mm. to be his own person, Um. And so, for me, going away, and, and again, I want to be a pastor, and I have this thing. I have this stuff going on. And I knew that I needed to get away from home to figure out um, what that looked like. And so, I show up at the small Bible college called Trinity Lutheran College. We're talking tiny. Yeah. 150 <laughs> students or less. And I think it got think, smaller yeah. for a time. And yeah. Then, yeah. And, um, and so when you walked in, there was this huge placard on the left-hand side that said, Jesus only. And I thought, oh, that's so cute. No, they meant it. Um, I came out almost upon arrival. Like, um, it's, uh, when you're in a small Christian community, uh, you know, nothing stays quiet, right? Um, and so, uh, me being there and me sort of whispering around to people that I was sort of struggling with this led to everyone knowing. 
And so they would anoint my door with oil and holy water. And for anybody that's been through midterms, uh, <laughs> you, you could imagine how you would feel if at one o'clock in the morning you heard like rumbling outside your mm. door and you open it and you get splashed in the face with holy water. Because you... Because this is going to somehow... You got splashed yeah, in the face with gonna, holy water? That's, that's right. going to fix it. Lutherans don't believe in holy water. These, there, were some, there were some evangelical students who, um, who had joined uh, the institution and... Um, and you have, and also there were some of those students who I Trinity was not Trinity, but for four years before my arrival, it was Lutheran Bible Institute. So there were students who had um, memory of a of a different time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were trying to reclaim some of that by mm-hmm. uh, by really leaning into that evangelical, that makes sense. Um, you know, casting out demons and. Um, and well, they weren't. Well, they weren't casting it out at you particularly. Yeah, they took me. Uh, so some of those. Oh, so it was they were coming specifically yeah, to get right. the demons out. And of in you. fact, when I when I opened the door and said, "What the heck are you doing?" I didn't say that, but yeah. for your the sake of your podcast, this is what I said. Their response was, "This. Do you hear the demonic spirit? Do you mm. hear the?" Rebellious? They said this. Wait, listen. We talk. We have conversations a lot. I don't know how. Like you've got such a book in you that every time you keep going at the same like two year period, you've got three or four volumes. Did it burn? <laughs> the, the rage inside burned. Yeah, the, rage I'll tell you. the water just felt like water. But, but it was. But um, but it grew. I mean, the and there was a moment for me where um, you know, right around that time, um, there was a moment at me where it was like, I mean, I had my advisor uh, asking me to come and sit in his office and close my eyes and recount all the gay experiences I had as a way to cleanse myself. This is a part of, um, what they call, um, oh, what is it called? Therapy. Um, what is it called? Not conversion therapy. Conversion therapy. So they, oh, he was trying to do this to so, you. So, so, um, so this is what some of the conversion therapists were doing in those days and earlier than that. Where so they recounting were your experience. Recounting to sort of cleanse yourself, like a confession and absolution sort of thing. Like, gotcha. Um, and this it, is with a faculty member. That's right. My advisor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I didn't, I mean, what was I to know, right? And so it finally got to a point where it was like, I'm not being healed. They took me to IHOP, which is not pancakes. Do you know what I'm talking about? IHOP, International House of Prayer. Um, yeah, I mean, it was... What town's that in? Well, they, they're all over the place. Um, um, but this one was obviously in Seattle. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so... Did that work? No. That was, <laughs> but that, and that was the final straw. So um. it was all these things that happened... I end up at IHOP and in a dark room because that's how they do it, I guess. And this woman kept saying, is the spirit of homosexuality gone? I mean, just whispering this. And I finally was like, girl, please, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. And so but I... That's w- heavy, man. Like you, so you... Like, what they say you were going to do? Did they tell you this was going to happen? That like, I would be healed. Yeah, but, the, but, that, but did you go? That, did you go consenting? I just yeah. Because, no. yeah, to a because, service or like right, it was because about you. Remember, all I knew was that being a pastor meant not being gay. Okay. And if that was, was the, the one thing I wanted to do, then I had to be healed. Gotcha. But everything I had done wasn't working. Mm. And so finally, my sophomore year at Trinity, I um, I was going to take my life. Mm. Like I was going to take a bunch of pills and kill myself. I'm glad you're still here. And 
I remember laying in the showers at Trinity about to take these pills, and I tell people, I don't know if it was God or my own ego, but something said, there's another way. Hmm. You need to find another way. Hmm. So I got up off the floor, and I met uh, with um, Betsy Little, a uh, professor at Trinity, and um, some other people, and pastors who were there who were ELCA at the time, and I just said, I need help. And it was like this shift. It was like moving into this place of power to say, to begin to wonder, maybe I'm not bad and broken. Maybe I'm good and whole. And maybe what is bad and broken is the system that's telling me that I am. That was a powerful shift. But then, but the next step was, and maybe if I stay, all these other closeted students um, will find a way. And because I grew up in a house of abuse, I knew how to take a punch. And I knew nothing that they said to me was going to hurt any worse than anything my dad had said. Mm. And so I was like, and there was no way they could throw me out because there was nothing in their... Uh, in <laughs> their, their rules, their bylaws. Which, you know, a lot of the evangelical uh, Christian colleges do. They, they were smart enough to keep it in. So like William Jessup University in Northern California, um, I've worked with some of their students. There, there's actually stuff in their, in their writings. But Trinity didn't. So they couldn't force me out. They could just make it really uncomfortable, right? And so they tried, but here we are. Mm. So one of the things that is really important to me, and should be important just in general, is the ability to have a real conversation. And that there are things that um, exclude that, right? There's these structures. For instance... I find myself in conservative religious land always prefacing a book recommendation by, I don't agree with everything this author says, but, or this speaker was great, but we recognize. And in fact, that we, we kind of do that. There, there are times when people are angry with me for not saying that. I had a person come and um, he was uh, Josh Swamidas. He was talking about um, some interesting scientific theories. He's really evangelical. He also believes the earth is really old. And uh, sometimes people want to say, before you let somebody speak, let everybody know that this person is, the well is poisoned. This person's disqualified, right? right? So, Casey, you do know that even the United Methodist Church doesn't necessarily recognize your legitimacy, that you yourself are a, a controversy. Your existence is a problem. Yep, That's a... That's a place that does not make a conversation easy. Nope. And I'm sorry about that. And I want to do something about that. But I, I want to then take it from your story of this experience, right? I mean, there's so much more. But, but then you saying, I want to care about this conversation at a college you didn't go to, a university you didn't go to, William Jessup. It's down the road. You want to be a pastor, in a sense, for some of those students. You, right. want to, you want to create... Can you tell us about how that went? Just, you know, it's right. instructive. Uh, well, I want to preface that with saying I feel like I've become more um, evangelical than I've ever been. Uh, because I understand, you know, I, growing up that way, or and that was my doing, right? That wasn't my grandparents, that wasn't my parents, that was me. Um, and one of the things that they would often say is, um, you know, we're, we're saving souls, we're saving lives, right? 
and that never felt real, right? Mm-hmm. Because you were just bringing your friends to church, and they would say the sinner's prayer or whatever the heck. And um, you go back and to go their back lives. to their lives. Yeah. Um, but the work that I have done in the conservative part of Northern California that I am in is legitimate life saving. So I started a support group. I moved to Placer County nine years ago with my partner, my husband. Um, this Saturday. This Saturday. Um, I moved there, and um, I, I started as a youth director. Um, I was finishing up ordination in the United Church of Christ, and um, uh, I was out, and they were going to or underpay me. You know, I have two master's degrees, but... They needed a youth director, and I needed a job, right? This is still, you know, like in the midst of the recession. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they hired me, half the church left. ELCA Church, they, hired, they, they left because they hired an out gay man uh, seeking ordination in the United Church of Christ. But upon, with all those people leaving, then 30 queer kids started showing up from the high school mm-hmm. half a mile away because they had nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And for many of them, they were living very risky lives because nobody cared. Mm. The work that I have done in the last four years with those kids leads me to a place of being unapologetically queer and unapologetically willing to show up in spaces that make me feel uncomfortable because those young people's lives are at risk. Their souls are at risk. So I show up to... uh, you know, William Jessup, the president, so graciously uh, met with me, and I shared with him my test my testimony. You know, <laughs> um, because that's what they ask for, yeah. right? That's what they want to know. What's your testimony? Um, can you speak my language? Right, and you can. And I did. Yep. Um, and at the end, he said, "We don't know what to do about LGBT students. We know they're here. We know they're going to continue to come, but we just don't know what to do with them." And my response was, I'm here. Let them know I'm here. Let me preach. And he said, no, I'm not letting you preach. Fine, that's fine. So I continue to try to reach out to those students the best I can. I continue to, um, but more importantly, I, again, four years ago, started a, a nonprofit called The Landing Spot, which is a support group for LGBT teenagers and their adult caregivers. And my work is most centrally um, focused on those teenagers because um, Placer County has some mega churches, big churches in the area that consume a lot of space, like geographically and politically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's those kids who are, you know, like I'm going to the ER with and I'm Mm. up until late hours of the night trying to convince them not to kill themselves. Um. And so this is urgent and it's personal, right? Yeah, you're not I, was, around. I was that kid and um, I don't want another one. To, it's like I came to that, that uh, the other piece of this is that when I joined that, that Lutheran church that brought me to Northern, that part of Northern California, six months earlier, a young woman in that church had committed suicide because she was a lesbian. Mm. She was being bullied. Mm. And so I felt at my like call, I was commissioned by that young person and her parents to be in this space, to show up for these young people. And so when I see these evangelical pastors at events and they want to like, hey, brother, blah, 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 um, they'll always, you know, hey, do you want to join me for such and such event? And my response, you can ask my partner, is 
actually, I'd like to have coffee with you to talk about how you talk about LGBT, LGBT people because you're killing our kids. Mm. Nobody's taken me up on it yet. Um, not but, one time. Not one time. Um, and, and now the message in the community is that I'm, um, I'm brainwashing these young people. <laughs> that I'm, um, they, they call my church the heretic church, the liberal heretic church, which I, I would love a placard that said something <laughs> like that. Um, but, but for me, it goes back to who Jesus is. So tell me about that. What is Salvation that? is, for me, about the wholeness of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant living does not happen in closets. Or just hiding under your Jesus blanket. That's right. You are only... disgusting self. Uh, in recovery groups, they say, you are only as sick as your secrets. Mm-hmm. And Ted Haggard can talk to us a lot about that. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. You are mm-hmm. only as sick as your secrets. And so for me, abundant living is allowing people to articulate for themselves who it is that they love and how they choose to live out their lives. Because you live in that closet long enough, honey, and you're going to be sick. Yeah. I don't know if I answered that. but No, that's it. But, I mean, but, but ultimately, you're saying as far as, the, as far as the conversation with at least one Christian university— you can be received cordially. I mean, this is kind of part of the theme, right? Come as you are, but pretty quickly you're going to have to change. That's right. Uh, we are welcoming you into this conversation with the president, but there's a, there's a shelf life to that conversation. That's right. And there are things, and again, you know, we fall back on, well, these are our values, right? right. These are our values. But Aiden uh, taught us something about what those values really should be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that, for me, is at the heart of our Christian message. How many times did Jesus show up to people and say, you're good? You know, the woman at the well is one of, the, one of my most favorite stories. Because when she walks away, he never says to her, now go leave that man of yours. He says, I see you, girl. You do you. And meanwhile, this is not a 1970s serial monogamist. This is somebody who is not empowered necessarily over her own body and her That's marriages right. and so forth. That's right. And we forget, we forget all of this. All right, okay. My understanding of what Christianity was meant to be was a place for people who lived at the periphery to find their way to the table. Right? That, that is my understanding of those early gospel writers. Plea for Jewish folks to understand that Gentiles were welcome at the table. That Christianity was a movement um, to bring those who lived at the periphery to the center. Uh, and, and that that was life-changing and ultimately life-saving. I would argue um, that I am simply living into the tradition of the one who taught me how to make a table. Yeah. How to seat people at a damn table. So you're arguing that you're the traditionalist? Yep. Okay. That, that, um, that no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. You are seen and known. I have people every Sunday when it's not COVID. I'm not kidding. Almost every Sunday. Where at the end, it's some queer person who sits in the back who is weeping, who will come up and say, I have never heard a gay pastor preach the way you preached. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And I don't know if I'll ever come back here because my trauma is so deep. Just but, going into a church. But building. something healed me today. Hmm. I, 
I see what I'm doing as a return to creating the space. Um, step, to step out and to say, um, no, really, come as you are. Um, and for those who, who would say, yeah, but there's a tradition and there is a, you know, uh, the president of William Jessup, uh, right before the election, uh, tweeted out something about, you know, there are 2,000 years of being evangelical. And evangelical looks like marriage between a man and a woman. And listed off all of these things. Pro-life. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and all I read was um, Christianity has had a stream for 1,500 years of colonization and power. That's what I read. Um, and what I'm hoping to do is reclaim of some of that Christianity that says, whether we have a building or a backyard, um, we're going to meet where two or more of us are gathered and we are, we are being uh, vulnerable and honest and sharing what we have with each other, there I am, right? Um, that's the Christianity I want to return to. So you're not trying to, you're not trying to uh, hijack the Jesus movement. You're trying to bring it back, is what you're saying. That's right. Okay. Now, there's Paul. And I want to be serious about this because... When I was, uh, you, you mentioned um, Ted Haggard. Did I ever tell you my, my <laughs> run-ins with Ted Haggard? No. You didn't know this? He's like uh, one of my, he was my, one of my nemeses. Yes. Sure. Early on. Because you were at Co- I was a Colorado, Colorado Christian, mm-hmm. yeah. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people with, with substance abuse histories. And when I was, when I was down there, I was, uh, I was um, investigating whether or not we would do some joint credit with his Bible college. Mm. And I could tell pretty clearly he was on something speedy or meth you know he, he had something going on and um augie was a little kid at the time yeah he, and he, he said something about the church service being i said what'd you think about it then he said something like it was a little bit of it was a rock concert rock concert and, and like cnn CNN, and a little <laughs> drop of church in the mix <laughs> something like that to the point, and the reason i think that's interesting <laughs> is because here you are you're saying that's the that's that's traditional christianity is it Five big, huge screens, right, exactly. you know, 15,000 people, the hoopla. And he was in that, did you ever see the documentary Jesus Camp? And what's interesting, I was going to bring that up. What's yeah. interesting is he <laughs> makes a major homophobic joke in that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like right there. And I, I mean, I had, I had, I had, a, I cried for Saddam Hussein in his tidy whities the, the human tragedy. Okay. Like I, I, I have this empathy part of me. And when he went down, when he fell, I like, at first, at first students wrote me letters because they were mad at me because I was dancing around and I had an energy drink and so I shouldn't have. But the reason is a lot of times when these pastors crash and burn, they spike the story, they, they gaslight you. They said, no, that didn't happen or whatever. And so I was just excited that it came out on the actual news because I was saying, please don't make me, well, he was going to be the president of Colorado Christian or they were thinking about it. And they said, you just don't love America, Jeff. You know, and so like I won a political battle by default, but the problem was he was he would just, they would just yell at me for hours and hours for not accrediting their program and so forth. That's not the the main reason I'm mentioning this though is that he he had students he had kids that were friends with my students, and the 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 layers and the and the tendrils of that pain that had been going on for so long is not a victory for me to say, ha ha, there's another bigoted evangelical that's crashed and burned. It's like, this is, this is so more, this is so much more pervasive. 
um, the pain. And, and that it can be in even the people that are perpetrating the pain yeah. um, within their own hearts. So when you talk about salvation, that's an interesting word that you're using at the same time. Around that time, there was a group called the, um, it's the, it was the Freedom Ride. Yeah. And uh, they were coming to protest. Soul Force, right? Soul Force, yeah. yeah. Um, and they were coming. There was a group of uh, LGBT students that were coming to evangelical colleges in Brigham Young, and they were protesting. And they said, oh, hey, Mallinson, you're a, you're a weirdo. Uh, deal with this problem. Again, you're a problem. Your existence is a problem. Okay, so I've got 32 problems showing up. I think one of the schools got fire hoses. Well, I said, Mountain, what are you going to do? I said, well, the really good news is I have three classes today that I am not prepared to teach. <laughs> so they came in, and I said, let's, let's have a conversation. And ironically, I'm more nervous about having some of those conversations in some places than I was at a very conservative evangelical world. Because the evangelical has one thing going for them. One big thing. They told me when I was a kid, Jeff, do you think you're a Calvinist or an Arminian? And that little question said to me, I get to make a decision based on the text, what, what I think. But Lutherans have a hard time with that. Lutherans have a book that's bigger than the Bible <laughs> that tells you what to think about these things. Now, right. it doesn't really say anything about these issues, but there is that habitual nature in, in, in Lutheran ed- intellectual circles that says, we already figured this out. Mm-hmm. Why do you not just memorize what the answer is? Soul force. Classroom. Nobody's mad that we have the conversation, but here's where it became difficult. Young woman said, I love the sinner and hate the sin. Okay. Push to the next level. Oh, you don't like that. I want to love you the way you want to be loved. I don't know how to love you and then have my whole ideology and faith destroyed. In other words, she's a biblical inerrantist. She can't, in her mind, be a biblical inerrantist. That means they think that the Bible is factually true in all its details and love you the way you want to be loved. She's at this impulse impasse and I'm still not comfortable with what to say to that student. And that's why I wanted you to, to, to talk on this podcast about this because to say, I think that that sometimes blockades or it, 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 it puts a barrier barrier up to a, a, a trust building. I think maybe the answer is to first build the trust in a, in a situation of unconditional love. Not, I'm not going to friend you into straightness. I'm not going to friend you into celibacy. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's that kind of thing, right? Okay, no, we, we're a very loving congregation. We're a very loving community. We, we, we unconditionally love you and forgive you, even though you're a, a rank sinner, especially because of your orientation in life and so forth. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, she needs to smash does she need to smash everything that she believes before she can start to build that trust and conversation? What, what are strategies for a listener right now who is angry already, <laughs> but, but wants to do right, wants to be able to investigate what they think about scripture and hear the suffering? What do we do? One of the most important things, uh, we are in 2020, everyone. I don't know if you know that. And there's something really important about believing people, right? Yeah. Um, when we just came through this Me Too movement, right, we have spent a summer protesting Black Lives Matter and listening to people talk about their pain. Um, and I think it starts with hearing people's stories, you know? 
um, one of the one in in the evangelical tradition, uh, they'd say if they can't hear the truth of the Bible, tell them the truth of your testimony, because no one can take that from you. Yeah, and I think that um, I would I would tell your listener, I would tell anyone. Um, sure, you don't have to be on board now, but can you just listen and trust that these experiences are true? The experiences are incorrigible, as they say in philosophy. Yeah, you can interpret it. Spend time wrestling with it, but those are true. So, yeah, but those are true, and so um, I would tell that person to to listen, to really listen. Right? Don't listen with an answer, don't listen with an intention, but to fully be present as Christ is present. Be present, listen, and and watch what happens when you do that. I mean, that happens for any of us, right? I mean, um, for any time that you are forced to be in relationship with someone whose experience is different than yours, you are transformed. That's what these gospel writings are about. This is Peter's, Peter's rooftop moment as he's sitting up there, starving, right? The more time you spend with Greeks the better that food smells, honey. <laughs> you make a shift. And so I would, I would encourage any LGBT person um, who is courageous enough to be in spaces that are hard. Because they don't have to be. Because they don't have to be. They shouldn't have to bear all that burden right? of that awkward right. space that's created by outside right. forces. But live loudly. And any chance you get to share your story, share it. And for those that need, that who do not live in the, to this experience, be prepared to listen and set a table. Back to when you were experiencing a conservative Lutheran education. Yep. The, the thing that I thought was interesting that you said you did was you made a list of non-negotiables for you to be able to survive in that place. And I want to start with that, and then I want to conclude by talking about what, what the rest of us should think about what are those non-negotiables for even conservative houses of worship, places of study, um, that even if it takes us 30 years to really get it you know, nailed down on how, how we're going to be just and, and accurate and all these things, what are those things that are the default so that we can say, I feel at least relatively safe? Back to when you were in college, what was your list? What were those things that you, that you, couldn't, you couldn't tolerate anymore? I would no longer tolerate uh, being called a sinner, right? Or an abomination. Or that my lifestyle, again, these are dog whistle words, right? My, my lifestyle or my orientation. Um, there's language um, that's attached to some of that. So I didn't want people to tell me that they were praying for me, that they were praying for my healing. I didn't want to hear that they loved me but hated my sin. Um, because what it says is you don't see me. You just see that I'm a sinner. So you haven't even moved past that, right? Um, uh, I would add to that now, because remember, those, this was a long time ago. We've evolved even from then. Um, culturally, you mean? Like culturally, just the way, yeah. that's right. Um, I would have I would have asked for gender neutral bathrooms uh, because there are trans there were trans students even then um, I would have um, but I think the biggest one was I did not want people to 
to make me feel like I was othered, right? So it was around prayer. It was around, um, it was around how they talked about me, how I was seen. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the only reasons why I got to be an RA actually was because I was gay. That's an interesting story I've never yeah. shared with well, you. Well, tell me. Because that's weird. So they, so they wanted to create a co-ed dorm, right? This was big for Trinity, to create a co-ed dorm where people of opposite genders could be on the same floor. On the same floor. But they couldn't figure out who was to run that floor. So they were like, the gay kid. He can run this. Oh, my gosh. And so, <laughs> I, I swear to you, I think that is the only way I ended up in our I think that makes because, sense. No, I can see because it. you tap into all of this, right? Somehow. <laughs> somehow. They watch your magic, but that's they, right, they that's don't right. want to deal with the politics that's of right. it with the that's right. Um And that's, there are so many places where I that's know true. That story. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Um, but I just didn't want to be seen as as bad or broken because I've worked too hard um, to see myself as good and whole. And the things that you say are bad and broken about me are the very things that saved my life. And I didn't want for another moment to negotiate that. Not for one more moment. So how did they respond when you, you made your list and you came and you said, all right, these are the things I'm not going to deal with. They and- said, well, they, actually their response was, well, we are going to pray for you and we do love you. <laughs> That was the that was the response. Double down. And that's right. Yeah. I can't hear you. I don't see you. But you see, right, that's and, and then they probably, you know, you go to your friends and say, Look, what's wrong with this kid? That's right. Who who's got a problem with me loving them? But it's that that's right. there's so much that's that's laid on to that. That's right. What arrogance. Okay, so that and I mean I'm serious. I mean in those days, were they talking about I mean, did they really believe in conversion therapy? I mean, I know today that that recently it seems to me that many conservative and fundamentalist groups have kind of given up on the idea that no. orientation is a choice. No, you're still, that's still something that people are doing. That's with. right. Not as much. Not as right? much. In fact, the very it's not popular. That's right. Um, and you have to, do you know why there was a rise in, uh, in the popularity of conversion therapy? Do you know where that came from? No. The AIDS epidemic. Um. So, um, Around the time the AIDS epidemic started, um, the evangelicals were booming, right? The early 80s. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, suburbia, right? The that white flight. The and everyone's moving out to be white and Christian together. Um, and all these men start dying of AIDS. And so the idea was, is, well, it's because of your horrendous lifestyle. This is the gay plague, right? So, so okay. if you come and get healed, maybe you'll be healed of HIV, too. Or come and get healed so you don't get AIDS. That's where that came from. Mm. And there are so many of those early founders of uh, of the of the oh, yeah. conversion uh, world that have come out who are super apologetic. There's probably people that didn't that if you heard that at a at a at a pastor's gathering uh, around the brown bag lunch, they're they're preparing for their sermon. They said, you know, I told this student that I loved him, and he was and he walked out. I walked out. He walked out. That's the devil right there. Okay. That's the devil. He, he, he's not willing to receive the love of God. That's what hell looks like. Okay. The other pastors might say, well, that's weird, right? Like what's wrong with this? I know that given the context that we've talked about, it may be easier for them to see, but maybe if they're having the, the lunch, they wouldn't understand. If that's true, there are probably 30 things. So we can't get to all 30. And this is where I want to conclude the podcast. 
there are probably 30 things that a, a young person, I, I mean, Stacy and I are really mainly concerned about the, the traumatization of religion on young people yep. in religious communities. That's, real. that's all we care about right now. I mean, we care about dogs and skating, but, you know, <laughs> that's our thing. But there must be things that the, that the casual observer is completely oblivious to, those small little things that are stabbing you like a knife. Mm-hmm. Can't get to all 30. Can you give the listeners just a few things that they should be saying, at least these things need to be on your mind as you're, as you're protecting the well-being of young people, their physical and their emotional well-being? I, uh, something as simple as pronouns and names. So uh, when I meet young people in uh, institutions uh, who are LGBT, I will often say, what is your name? What are your pronouns? Right? Um, that's a that's a first step because it says I see you and I will affirm you as you. Um, isn't that what we all want, right? Um, I think that um, I would say be certain to um, to allow space for people to just be who they are. I mean, come on, this is not hard. <laughs> Like, I know that this is like, if I'm looking at pastors with their brown bag lunch, my response is treat them as Christ would, which is dignity and respect. Right? Jesus didn't walk up to people and heal their, their eyes when they had a knee problem, when they couldn't walk. Jesus said, what do you need? Who are you? People need dignity and respect. You don't have to agree with me, but if, when I walk in and I say, yeah, I'm Pastor Casey Tennant, this is my husband, Jose, um, I, what I don't want for you to do, oh, I have a gay friend once, <laughs> right? Or, oh, let me, t- let me take you to coffee. That's one of my favorites. Can we go to coffee and talk about your, your homosexuality? I'm like, well, what do you want to know, right? What, that was a, I mean, I don't need your opinion about my life. It is true, Jeff, that when you say, um, you're a problem. I tell queer teenagers all the time, your very existence is political. Mm-hmm. Your very being is. Whether you like it or not. Whether you, you like it or not. It. And that's a, that's, and a so, thing. That's, a, that's a thing to carry. And so my invitation for those pastors with their brown lunches is to sit back, enjoy your lunch, and then go and feed some people with kindness. Right? Hospitality. Listen. We don't need your opinion about any about. You don't need to be told like what the Bible says about right. this. You haven't. Right. You because, don't know because we don't live in a culture that tells us all the time what the right. Bible says. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, right. It's like, oh well, I didn't need to make sure that I that I uh, got that right. got that in. We no longer live in a world. This is we don't live in a world anymore where that's an excuse, right? We spend, I, I, when people come to me and say, well, I want to learn more about being, you know, what it means to be uh, a supporter of the queer community, I say, go to YouTube, right? I need to know, you know, how to help, uh, you know, a young, a young woman, uh, you know, around uh, sexual assault. What do I do? Go to YouTube. There are enough, we, there is a bunch of information, and you don't think that young queer kids are, re- are listening to your opinions on YouTube or they're not hearing it from their pastors and their churches? We know, the, we know the lines. We know about Paul. We know about Genesis. You know, we, we get it all. Um, 
What's the Genesis text? Uh, you know, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Uh, well, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Well, um, the Leviticus, you know, well, Leviticus. Uh, I, I, I'm, the, um, I'm not trying to quiz you. I'm just trying to like no, kind of keep my right, uh, right. my Rolodex of, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Come on, Sodom, right. oh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Right, so right, 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 that's right. like the biggest one, and that's yeah. my most favorite text to uh, push on people. You know? Well, I think that's probably why I erased that from my my list of things to discuss because I think that that's probably the that's usually the easiest to start with. These are not <clears throat> these are not the conversations that I'm wanting to have or any any queer person wants to have, quite frankly, and not because we want to shy away from them. Right. No, but it's probably tiring. Well, it's exhausting, and and it's like the same. It's like, yeah. do we have to start? Is yeah. this where we start? Yeah. Why do we yeah. start with the text instead of the lived experience right in front of you? The people, the flesh and blood among you. Let's, that, let's let that be the exclamation point. Yeah. Let's start with the people. Yeah. Let me go into the text. Yeah, that's good. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you. How can people follow some of the things you're doing? You're on a podcast for a while called the Irenicast. Yep, I am the co-host of a podcast called Irenicast, um, and it is a progressive Christian podcast. Um, and so you can follow me there. You can follow me, um, at the queerly faithful pastor on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, you can also, uh, and in the spring be looking for my podcast, which will be called the queerly faithful podcast. So and, uh, thanks again, my man. Yeah. Thank you. Stacy. Thank you. Oh yes. Thank thanks you. Thanks for being here. It's so good to see you again. And wherever friends that you find yourself, even if you're in Right now, this experience of anger and rage, and you are going to write me a letter. I hope you do, but address it to Stacy because she reads all the uh, emails first. Because <laughs> I have emotional difficulty reading them, I say to Stacy, "Tell me what they said, but don't give me the voice. I can't hear the voice. If they're yelling at me, then I feel traumatized. But if they're so and so hates you and wishes you were dead, I'm like, oh, okay. But if I have to hear them say it, then I curl up in this ball of anxiety. Hear you. But that's not what we're about, friends. We're here not to bring even controversy. We're here to bring salvation, to use Casey's language. But mm. in our language, we're here to bring. Peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.